listen and um, fill in the blanks. But last week, uh, as Neil said, we started reading John's Gospel together as a church, and um, and we saw that the, the Gospel is written. This this book of the Bible was written by uh, John, one of Jesus's closest friends, so that we're able to believe in Jesus, and 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 so that by believing, we can have life, uh, real life, full life, and eternal life. Uh, and that's really um, important because it can be really hard to believe. I imagine all of us here uh, know what I mean by that, whether this is your first time in church or your thousandth, uh, because uh, it can be hard to believe for anyone. Uh, for one thing, it's hard to believe because we can't see Jesus. And uh, it can be hard to believe in things we uh, can't see. And perhaps for some people, it's hard to believe in the forces that, that hold an aeroplane up when you're sitting in it. Uh, and so it can be quite scary. And for others, perhaps it's hard to believe that a deadline, which is meant to be approaching, is ever going to arrive. Um, so it's hard to believe because it's hard to see. We can't see. But for another thing, believing um, is hard because this sort of believing has consequences, uh, some of which are, are pretty scary. Uh, perhaps admitting to friends or, or family that we're one of those born-again type Christians who take the Bible seriously. Or perhaps for those of us who have been following Jesus for a number of years, believing can be quite scary when it means admitting that we've done something really bad, owning up not just to God but to other people as well, and so looking weak and broken and having to ask for someone's forgiveness. Believing can be hard, but the Bible says that believing in Jesus in that sort of way is the only way to have life, real life, full life, eternal life. So we need to li- listen to what this passage is teaching us. And I, I know it's a long passage and we're not going to go into detail in all of it, uh, but, but it'll help us believe as we think about it and chew over it. And by believing, have that sort of life. Uh, and first we see what help God gives us to believe. Uh, and then we'll see what that means and why it's important. What help has God given us to believe? And um, you might find the um, uh, outline that's on the, the third page of these booklets uh, helpful for you. You might like to take notes. Uh, there are some pens uh, on the table over there if you'd like to get up and grab one. Don't feel bad about getting up um, at any point. But the first thing is, and children, you might not have to listen up because there are some blanks to fill in for this one. God sent... A herald to help us believe. God sent a herald. And parents, feel free to explain things to your children. But, but all of us might need a little reminder about what a herald is. Um, in the old days, a herald was, was someone um, often with a, with a kind of trumpet who would announce a really important person's arrival, like a, like a king or something like that. Um, and for kids, there's a, there's a picture of an old-fashioned herald you might like to colour in on the front of your clipboards. But these days too, if there's something really important about to happen, you often get a kind of a a fanfare beforehand. The Olympics are going on at the moment. At the beginning of the Olympics, there's this massive opening ceremony they spend millions and millions on. Uh, But but the herald in our passage isn't just to kind of hype people up and generate interest. It's actually necessary preparation for us. Uh, Perhaps a a little bit like if the, the queen was going to visit your house. You'd want to have some advance notice, wouldn't you? 
You wouldn't want her to pitch up in the middle of the mess and squalor if your house is anything like ours. But the reason that we need someone to get us ready for Jesus isn't because we want to hide the rubbish of our lives under the stairs somewhere so he doesn't notice. No, it's so that we understand who he is when we see him and we receive him the right way. And we need that help because believing is hard. We need help. And God sent John the Baptist as a herald so that we could have evidence. It's one of the big bits of evidence that the Bible gives us to, to believe in Jesus. Almost every time John is mentioned here in, um, in John, John the Baptist is mentioned. It's confusing. It's John the, the writer of this book. is not the same person as John the Baptist. Um, but, but when John talks about, when John the writer talks about John the Baptist, almost every time he's talked about as a witness, like in a court case, who testifies. So verse 19, now this was John's testimony. Uh, so it's a bit like a court case. John the Baptist is giving evidence, and he's giving evidence that Jesus is, in fact, the, the Son of God. And so that by believing in, in um, the person John the Baptist is pointing us to, we can have life. And, and a witness like John the Baptist is gold dust for us who find it hard to believe. Um, and, and here are a few reasons why. Firstly, his testimony was heard by loads and loads of people in public, including the authorities of the day. So verse 19, this was John's testimony, when uh, the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. Uh, sorry, I should have said, if you close your Bibles, open them back up again on, on page 1063, because we're going to be going through um, these verses it, 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 at some pace and in some detail, uh, as, far, as, as much as we can in, in 25 minutes or so. Um, but, but this testimony was public, heard by authorities. It's what was actually said. We have the eyewitness account of John the Baptist. Uh, secondly, he had nothing to gain and everything to lose by saying what he said. Uh, he's not kind of collecting followers. Verse 20, he didn't fail to confess, but confess freely, I'm not the Messiah. And actually, he's going to lose all of his disciples to Jesus. Well, that's his aim, at least. And we see that beginning to happen a few verses later. And actually, later on, he's going to be executed for saying what he says. So he's not the focal point. He doesn't, he's not the one who everyone gathers around. He, he doesn't get rich or, or, or kind of any better off. In fact, he gets a lot worse off. He gets killed. And so he has no reason to lie. We can trust what, what John the Baptist says. And third thing, his testimony is corroborated... It's backed up by the people's expectations, by the Jewish people's expectations from the Old Testament. Uh, those, those who understood God's promises to mean that, that someone was coming. Verse 21, that these um, uh, priests and Levites asked him, Who are you? Are you Elijah? I'm not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. You, you see, they expected someone like a Messiah or, or Elijah, this, this great Old Testament leader to come back, or the prophet who Moses said would come, just like Moses. And everyone expected this person to be arriving. And John the Baptist is saying the same thing. There is this person arriving. I'm not him, but this person is arriving. And the fourth thing, and this is really important because of how, how big a deal John's um, uh, testimony is that the Son of God Himself is coming. This is this is, uh, I think, a really important 
help for us. This is a witness who gives evidence ahead of time. And that's an unusual thing for a witness, but it's really important uh, given that he's, he's claiming to be sent uh, from God. Uh, verse 23, have a look down uh, how he describes it. John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, written 800 years before, I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness, make straight the way for the Lord. Now the Pharisees who'd been sent questioned him, why do you baptize if you're not the Messiah nor Elijah nor the prophet? I baptize with water, John replied, but among you stands one you do not know He's the one who comes after me, the straps of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. Now, as we read on through John's gospel, we're going to see Jesus doing these amazing things, these signs that he is uh, who John the Baptist says he is. But but John the Baptist isn't isn't, um, riding any wave of popularity for Jesus. Jesus hasn't done anything yet. No one knows who he is. Among you stands one you don't, you don't know. Jesus hasn't done anything um, of, of um, a miraculous kind of level. And John is saying, uh, along with uh, the prophets from God, like Isaiah 800 years before, and, and for hundreds of years before that as well, just who Jesus is going to be. He says he's the Lord. The Old Testament way of describing uh, God. And all of that helps us to believe, to believe in Jesus, because John the Baptist is a really good witness for that sort of thing. And John the Baptist is documented by all of the kind of contemporary writers who wrote down an account of of what, what happened in those days. So we can trust what we've got here. We can trust John the Baptist. Now, um, I know I've kind of said that before we've said what it is he's saying we should believe. I've said kind of generally that Jesus is the son of God. Um, but, But we need to know what it is he's claiming. What does that mean? And then we need to understand what believing would entail and what does it involve. Uh, So so that's how we're going to spend the rest of our our time um, this morning. And what John wants us to believe is that Jesus is everything that God has promised. He's everything that God has been promising uh, for hundreds of years in in the Old Testament. And there are loads of names for Jesus um, in in this passage, loads of different ways Jesus is described. And each of them comes uh, with uh, these hidden riches, a bit like an iceberg. You know, there's so much under the surface you you, you can't see from the Old Testament. And and sadly, we don't have time to go into them. Uh, together. Uh, feel free to come and ask me. But, but I've, I've put verses down in your word sheet, so you might like to go and look them up uh, later if you've got a Bible at home. Um, but verse 29, he's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, uh, like in Isaiah 53. Verse 30, he's uh, eternal. He's before John and after John, uh, as God is described in Psalm 90. Verse 32, he's He's spirit-filled, permanently filled with the Holy Spirit, uh, unlike people like David in the Old Testament, uh, on whom the Spirit came for a time. Isaiah 42, verse, 50, verse 33, he baptises with the Holy Spirit. Uh, he, he gives God living with him to others so that God can live with them. Uh, Ezekiel 36, he's the chosen one in verse 34, uh, like in Isaiah 42 again. 
And then, and then actually, as we carry on through verses 35 to 51, there, there are more descriptions. He's the Messiah, God's uh, anointed special leader. Uh, he's uh, the son of God, verse 49, uh, the king of Israel. In other words, verse uh, 45, Jesus is the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote. In other words, it's not just uh, the New Testament of the Bible, this, this bit of the Bible that's about Jesus. He's saying, look, all of that is about Jesus as well. All that's pointing to Jesus. Now, we could spend, um, as I said, lots of time on any one of those promises that, that Jesus fulfills. And I'd love to, but, but for time's sake, we're not going to stop on any, any one of them. But do you get the big picture? If, if Jesus is the one that God has been uh, promising, for thousands of years, God has been making promises and promises and promises about solving all of the problems in our world. That he's going to come and, and sort it all out. And John the Baptist is saying, look, this is happening now. This is God sorting out all the problems in our world in this guy. And so we're to believe that Jesus is God's promises coming true. It's an awfully big deal. And I just want to spend um, a bit of time thinking about two things that that means for us, uh, which we see in in, in John chapter 1. Firstly, uh, Jesus is worth following. Jesus is worth following. Uh, So verses 35 to 42, we, we, we see that beginning to happen. Now, Jesus will only be worth following if he can do what he claims on the tin. But John the Baptist clearly uh, taught his disciples that believing Jesus uh, meant uh, following him, uh, thinking he could do uh, what he says on the tin. So verse 35, the next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said again, look, the Lamb of God. And when the two disciples heard him say this... They followed Jesus. They walked away from John the Baptist and walked after uh, Jesus. For for them, it was physically following, walking behind Jesus as he went from place to place. And probably, by the way, John, the gospel writer, was one of these two disciples uh, who started following Jesus then at four in the afternoon. And and he got up and he went where Jesus went. But but, but he has in mind as well a deeper sort of following, a listening to what Jesus is saying and letting that lead his life, following him in in the way that he makes decisions and so on, leaving behind the old life and going where Jesus leads and teaches them. Look at verse 38. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, what do you want? What do you want? It's a really important question that Jesus asks these uh, first disciples who follow him. It's a really important question for us. I guess it'll only seem worth following Jesus if we want what he's offering. If the thing that we want from him is what he is able to give us. If the thing that we want from life is what he's able to give us. What are you looking for from life? What do you want? It's worth pausing and thinking hard about that question. Children and grown-ups, what do you want? What do you really want most in life? Only when we 
can answer that question. Can we determine whether it will be worth following Jesus? And then when we know what we want, well, Jesus invites the disciples in the words of verse uh, 39. Can Jesus give us what, what we want? Well, come and you'll see. Come and see. Come and you'll see. Now, Andrew did that. He came and he saw. And clearly he thought the answer was, yes, Jesus really can. And so uh, he, he found his brother. Verse, verse 40. Uh, Andrew uh, was one of the, the two who heard what Jesus said, followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and, and tell him, we found the Messiah. That is the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Andrew gets that Jesus is everything that God had promised and he can meet our deepest needs. So he brought his brother to Jesus as well. And that leads us on to our, our final point. Jesus is worth following uh, because he, he is everything that God promised. But, but also Jesus is worth sharing. That's verse 43 to 51, I think, focus on that for us. Uh, Jesus is worth following and Jesus is worth sharing. Even if we're deciding at the moment whether to follow Jesus or not, He's still worth sharing, uh, doing this deciding together with others. If it's, if, if it's possible, he is everything that God has promised. Get everyone else to look into him too. So a bit like with Andrew, uh, when Philip starts following Jesus, uh, uh, verse uh, 43 and 44, um, his first response is to find other people and tell them. Uh, so verse uh, 45, Philip found Nathaniel. And told him, we found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote. Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. This, this real guy who, who came from that northern town. And of course that's what you do. Right? If you find the one that God has been promising for thousands of years, you can sort out all the problems of life. Of course, you'd want to tell everyone that you can. Now perhaps... We're following Jesus and we think, but, but I'm not doing that. Perhaps you're put off from sharing Jesus because you're worried about how Jesus will respond, well, how people will respond. It doesn't seem like, like it's, it's a great response from Nathaniel, Philip's friend Nathaniel, is it? Verse 46, Nazareth, can anything good come from there? Nathaniel asks, you can always hear the kind of mocking in his voice. And it's not just, by the way, Nathaniel being um, snobby about Nazareth. Uh, like, it, like it's a grimy old town. Uh, the, 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 there's a theological point behind this. He's saying, Nazareth, you think God's saviour is from that place up there. And you kind of need to know that a little bit of the geography, I'll just give you a broad brush. At, at the bottom of, um, of, of the country is Judea, uh, where Jerusalem is, where, where uh, the, the, the temple was, the, the kind of capital city. And below that um, is Bethlehem. Um, where the, the prophets promised that the Messiah was going to be born. And then above Judea is Samaria, uh, where um, uh, non-Jews lived. Uh, it, it was, they didn't hold to, to the Old Testament uh, faith. And then above Samaria is Galilee, which is where uh, Nazareth is. And, and there were Jewish believers there, but, but, but the Jews in Judea kind of thought, well, they, those people, they're, they're distant from real Judaism. There's a kind of mixed religion. And Nazareth was looked down on for being more mixed than the, the rest of it. And so, so Nathaniel's making a real theological point. Why would you say this guy from Nazareth is the promised saviour? When he's meant to be from Bethlehem, he's not even from the right kind of part of the world. 
So he raises a real theological point, and he kind of reacts quite badly to this idea Jesus is the Savior. Now, now I know we're scared sometimes to talk, talk, talk about Jesus precisely because we don't think we'll have answers to people's objections. Or because, you know, we just think people will think we're silly for, for believing something that they think is, is stupid. But I think Philip's answer is a great model for us. It's so simple and so powerful. Look at, at verse 46. Uh, Nazareth, can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked, come and see, said Philip. I reckon that's something anyone here could say. <laughs> come and see. Jesus, you don't really believe in him. What's he going to do for you? Well, come and see. Philip just says, why don't you come along and find out for yourself? You, you won't know unless you dig a little. You won't see unless you come along. And by the way, if you've just come along to see, if you've just come to see today, you've done the right thing. You've done just what John's gospel says we ought to be doing. We're really glad you're here. And look what might happen, verse 47. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, Here truly is an Israelite in whom there's no deceit. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. In a sense, Jesus doesn't have to do much to convince Nathaniel, does he? Nathaniel comes with his, his doubts and his questions. And then when Jesus shows Nathaniel, he has a more than human uh, uh, knowledge of, of what's going on. He can see beyond what any normal human can, both physically, uh, when Nathaniel was out of sight, and, and spiritually, he can see Nathaniel's heart. Then Nathaniel understands. He's not just another teacher, another person with a philosophy that might be good or might not be. He is from God. He's God's son. He's the king God promised. But funnily enough, when Nathaniel gets that and, and he makes that declaration, Jesus doesn't actually seem so impressed. Do you notice that? Verse, verse 50. Jesus said, You believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You will see greater things than that. He then added, very truly, I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Son of Man is another name for Jesus from Daniel 7. I should have put that down on your sheets. But being everything God promised is much more than just being a, a new and great king who can make life nicer here and now. Jesus promises Nathaniel and us something weird and wonderful in verse 51. And it is pretty weird, isn't it? You'll see heaven open and, and angels ascending and descending on the Son of Man. What, what's that about? Perhaps you recognize that, that idea from somewhere. Recognize that idea of heaven opening, angels ascending and descending on something. Anyone recognize that? Jacob, thank you. Yes, Genesis 28. Um, what's commonly called Jacob's Ladder or Jacob's Staircase. Uh, Jacob had a dream where, where he saw this, this staircase between him and God in heaven. And, um, and there, was, there were angels going up and down this staircase. And God spoke to him and said, look, I'm with you. You have, you have a special bond with me. You have access to me. 
Now it's possible that, that, that by saying this, Jesus is saying, look, I'm like Jacob. I have this special bond with God. God is always with me. You'll see that. But actually, I think he's saying something much bigger than that. Have a look at verse 51. Have a look down. Read it yourself. And, and, and just tell me, where is Jesus in the picture in verse 51? Where is Jesus in the picture? It's not a rhetorical question. It's an actual question. Where is Jesus in the picture? It's okay. Don't be, don't be scared. Or what is Jesus in the picture? He is, yeah, exactly. He is the stairs. He's the, he's the ladder. He's the staircase between earth and heaven on which angels are going up and going down. They're ascending and descending on the Son of Man. So it's a weird picture, right? But it's wonderful. Because what he's saying is he is the link between us and God. He makes a way open so we can get to God and God can come to us. He links earth and heaven. He can bridge the gap that's existed since Adam and Eve, that, that cuts us off from God, the reason we can't see God. And, and without him, we can't have any relationship with God. We're cut off from God entirely. But with Jesus, we can have God and therefore have life as it's meant to be. And that's why believing in Jesus gives us real life and full life and eternal life. Because he is the ladder, the, the staircase between God and man. And that's why we need to stick with Jesus. And that's why we need to share him with, it, with anyone and everyone that we, we can. Because only then will, will we and those around us be able to have the life that God created us to have. Uh, later on um, in, in John's Gospel, Jesus is quoted as saying, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one can get to the Father except through me. He is the only staircase to heaven. There isn't another. So how do we do that? And, and um, just a few things as we close. How do we believe in a way that gives us life? Well, firstly, um, John's still in his kind of introductory bit. And the, the, the first thing is keep listening to what John's saying. Keep coming back Sunday by Sunday. But, 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 but more than just come, listen and, and soak it up and think about it and, and go home and, and read on in John's gospel and, and perhaps read the, the passage that's coming up. Um, uh, pray about it. Uh, perhaps you're not used to praying. Just, just speak to God. Assume he can hear you and ask him to help you understand. Uh, perhaps if you miss a week, listen, listen back uh, to the sermons on the website, as, as Neil said. Catch up. Uh, or listen again. Get, get your head into what John is saying, because he's written to help us believe and to show us what that means. Second, chew over what it means for Jesus to be all that God promised. Uh, follow up those Old Testament verses that are in the word sheets. And make sure you, you know who it is you claim to follow as a Christian and not, not just know a few words about him, but know him deeply and be learning more about him. Know what it means for Jesus uh, to be all, all that God promised and, and know who, who it is you aren't following if you're not. And thirdly, follow, choose to follow Jesus. For, for these disciples, following Jesus would mean giving up everything that they had, uh, their, their livelihood, um, their, their hometown, uh, everything their lives were about, just so that they could be close to him, so they could hear him, experience his uh, teaching and his leading. And, and for us, obeying Jesus, following Jesus in that way, will mean giving up other things, other hobbies, other desires, other uh, luxuries, 
So follow him. Um, and um, uh, perhaps, children, you've, you've drawn some things or, or written some things on the foot in your booklet uh, that, that it means to follow Jesus. But fourthly and finally, uh, share. Jesus is worth sharing if he's worth following. You don't have to be an expert to do it. You don't have to feel like you know the answers. You don't have to have been a Christian for, for very long at all. In fact, you don't even need to be a Christian to share Jesus. Just invite people to come and see to get a good look at Jesus, perhaps invite people here on a Sunday. We'd love to, to welcome new people. And, and we will, every week that we exist. We're committed to that. Everyone needs Jesus. So, so we want to invite people here on a Sunday. It's a great opportunity to see something of Jesus, to see what following Jesus means for other people. Or perhaps invite them to, to, to just read the Bible with you, uh, if they don't want to come to something so public. To, to sit down and, and read something from John's Gospel, perhaps, with you. Uh, the word one-to-one is a great resource uh, if you want something that just kind of shows you what, what kind of you can do together. You don't have to know anything uh, or do anything special. Now, those are, are four ways uh, to respond. I've also put, put three questions at the bottom of the outline in your booklets uh, that you might find helpful to, to ask yourself and to ask one another, perhaps after uh, the formal bit of, of church is over. Uh, but... But I, I hope that will help you digest what it is we've been seeing and thinking about. It's really important stuff. Jesus has made a link between us and God. He's opened the way. So in a moment, we're, we're going to sing. We're going to sing about... Uh, so the band might like to come up now. But, but we're going to sing about um, uh, the, the lion who is also the lamb. Uh, the, the great de- defeater of evil uh, who also... Uh, offers himself uh, as a lamb to take away the, the, the sin of the world. Uh, uh, about our rescuer, um, we, we've got two songs. And, and if you're able to, please make these words your response. The, the, uh, one, of your, one of the bits of following Jesus in response uh, to what we've been learning about Jesus. So please stand and let's sing together.